0: Begin PodFix network transmission in 3, 2, 1.
1: This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia.
0: Welcome to the fantastic history of food. Strange but true stories from history that in some way involve food. I'm your host, Nick Charlie Key.
1: Hello, and welcome to Not Be Wilderbeasts. <laughs> I'm your host, Melissa Mickey McGrath, and this is April Fool's Day. So, My friend Nick and I teamed up with Moxie Labouche on Your Brain on Facts. I've recommended her show before, but she does this really fun thing called Operation Switcheroo, where on April Fool's Day, everybody switches podcasts. And so I'm going to be hosting a couple of episodes from Nick from Fantastic History of Food. And you wouldn't think that we'd have a lot to talk about that was similar, but turns out we do. my episode on KFC Chicks in Space and Julia Child Shark Repellent episodes are in Nick's very capable hands. One of those episodes will be going on his main feed and the other will be going in his Patreon. My two episodes from Nick are going to be in the old timey times, the New York Yankee who went up against an ostrich in an eating competition and in a very interesting dinner that was done on horseback at the last second. It's it's a whole thing. I can't wait to have you guys listen to Nick. So one of those episodes will be here on the main feed. The other will be over in the Patreon. So Patreon members, you're going to get two. Nick and I couldn't choose which of which one to send to each other. So we decided just to share both. So Maxie, if you're listening, Nick and I went an extra mile. <laughs> if you're interested in Nick's show, please check out the fantastic history of food. There's actually a lot of food and animal history Some of it, though, is not very kind to animals, but it's historical, it's interesting, it might be something that you're into. And like Bewilderbeast, he does not use language. We are, I think, tonally very similar. And I think after I was paired up with Nick, I ended up listening to a whole bunch of his shows. I'm now a subscriber. I really like his show. It's fascinating. It's interesting. He pulls on the thread in the same way that I do. And I think you're really going to like it. So without further ado, happy April Fool's Day. And I'm going to let Nick take it from here.
0: Francesco Stefano Pizzolo was born on the 8th of October, 1887 to an Italian-American immigrant family on the west coast of America in San Francisco. Little Francesco grew up in a time where, being of Italian descent, unfortunately led to certain forms of discrimination and mockery. The classic Italian stereotypes would get thrown at him around town and at school, which would eventually lead to him adopting the nickname Ping Bodhi. There are many stories as to how he took his name in particular, but Francesco himself said the nickname Ping came from a family friend who had been saddled with it, didn't like it, and so pawned it off onto the young Francesco. Many of his fans in later life like to say he got the name Ping because that's the sound the ball made when he struck it with his enormous 52-ounce baseball bat. That's nearly double the weight of today's bats. Ping was one of the first Italian-Americans to make it to Major League Baseball, and to further hide his ethnicity, he chose the surname Bodhi. It was the name of an old West mining town his father and uncle had lived in for a while, known for its saloons, cowboys and gunfights, He felt it added an authentic American charm to his name that would set him in good stead for his upcoming career in baseball. Ping was a heavy hitter right from the get-go. His career began in 1908, playing in the West Coast California League before joining the San Francisco Seals in 1909. Many years later, the world-famous Joe DiMaggio would get his start at the very same team playing shortstop. It was said that Bodie himself, was the inspiration behind many future Italian-American ballplayers, including all three of the DiMaggio brothers. Two years later, he was transferred to the Chicago White Sox after their owner, Charles Comiskey, complained that the Sox weren't hitting well enough. Well, this was what Ping did best. And on his first day, Ping walked into the owner's office and told him, look, if you want some good hitting, put me in the lineup. This kind of arrogance could have gone either way but Charles Comiskey was impressed and started him in the very next match. Bodie thankfully, lived up to his own hype and soon earned himself the nickname The Fence Buster. Something worth knowing about Ping was that, due to a variety of factors in his life, he'd grown up to be a brash and confident young man. He said exactly what he thought and he didn't hold back, sometimes to his own detriment. It was this very character trait that soon led to him clashing with the White Sox manager and he was swiftly traded back to the Seals before moving on to Philadelphia. Once there, finding himself disappointed in the quality of his new teammates and their playing style, he once told the press that his new team, the A's, was so bad that the only two attractions worth seeing in Philadelphia were the Liberty Bell and Ping Bodhi. His arrogance rubbed some people up the wrong way, but it also meant that he had an incredible self confidence, which translated into his playing style. He was doing his thing and cracking the ball out of the stadium with such regularity that soon his big break came when he was traded to the New York Yankees. Bodie was a big personality and loved being the center of attention. But even so, he wasn't the biggest personality on his new team. And when selecting roommates for tour accommodation, Management made sure to pair him up with the only man with a bigger personality than him the world-famous slugger Babe Ruth Now Babe Ruth was well known as a party animal and would hit the town whenever the opportunity arose So much so in fact that when asked what it was like sharing a room with the most famous star in the game Bodie simply replied I share a room with Babe Ruth's suitcase not Babe Ruth now these days Top-level athletes and sportsmen make a ridiculous amount of money and Major League Baseball is no exception. However, that was not always the case as around the time that Bodie was active, ball players would often have to take up other jobs once the season had finished to keep their lifestyles afloat. One of the easiest ways to make a quick buck, leveraging their fame, was for sportsmen to take part in special contests or challenges which often led to some truly bizarre stories. One of these stories involved ping Bodhi An ostrich and a veritable mountain of spaghetti. In the year 1919, Percy the ostrich was one of the most famous birds in Jacksonville, Florida. He'd been given the title of the world's greatest eater by the Jacksonville Chamber of Commerce in what was likely a way to advertise the city zoo. The zoo itself was still quite new, having only been built just five years earlier in 1914. It just so happened that Jacksonville was also the city in which the New York Yankees had been having spring training since 1898. Crowds of people would gather to greet the ball players each time they arrived in the city and would watch with glee as some of the world's best players went through their training regimes right there in front of them. The co-owner of the Yankees at this time was Colonel Tillinghast Huston, a veteran of both the Spanish-American War as well as the First World War. And upon arriving in Jacksonville with the team, he began to hear rumors around the city, touting their famous ostrich and its prodigious talent for eating. That he heard these rumors so quickly upon arrival was was maybe no surprise, as the Yankees' spring training ground was right across the street from the local Jacksonville Zoo. Spotting an opportunity to make some money and garner some publicity for the team, he decided he would offer the town a challenger to Percy and make a contest of it. After some back-and-forth negotiations, the zoo agreed to their terms and they gave Colonel Huston the green light. Now, all the colonel needed was a challenger and he knew just who he wanted. Ping Bodhi was known for many things, but one of his attributes well known to friends and family was that he loved food and he loved to eat a lot of it. Huston himself would often get furious at Bodhi after he would ring up enormous food bills on the club's tab. It seemed like the perfect match-up, as long as he could get the hitter to agree. But, as we already know, Ping Bodhi loved being the centre of attention, and this was just one more way to make that happen. After a brief chat with Colonel Huston, he happily agreed to the match. Word quickly spread about the contest, and despite some backlash from local animal enthusiasts, the town was abuzz with excitement over the upcoming showdown between man and bird. When the day finally came for the matchup, Huston and Bodie arrived at the local Jacksonville Town Hall to find it packed to the rafters with eager spectators. Bodie waved and smiled to the gathered masses as he was presented to the crowd alongside the reigning champion, Percy the Ostrich. Being that Bodie was the challenger, he was allowed to choose the food they would both consume in the contest. And owing to his heritage, it's maybe no surprise at all that Ping Bodie chose spaghetti this however was not a popular choice among the assembled members of the local chamber of commerce who had all placed rather hefty bets on percy being victorious the spaghetti was prepared in a giant pot and once cooked was spooned into two separate tin bowls a bowl was placed in front of Bodie, and he was told to wait until the second bowl had been placed in front of percy only once percy had started pecking at his bowl was Bodie allowed to start on his The ostrich eyed the bowl curiously as it was placed in front of him, but it took just a few short seconds before he attacked it with gusto. Bodhi, seeing this, dove into his own bowl, and the contest was underway. The first bowl went down in no time, and a second bowl was hastily placed in front of each of them. While it was not a contest of speed, but rather of longevity, the crowd had whipped themselves into a frenzy, cheers alternately ringing out for both Bodhi and the reigning champion Ostrich. As quickly as the first ball went down, so did the second. And by the end of the third ball, both man and Ostrich were neck and neck. In a twist of fate that may amount to pure urban legend, it is said that Percy gobbled down his third bowl of spaghetti with such enthusiasm that he also accidentally swallowed Colonel Huston's pocket watch and chain while he'd been keeping time a little too close to the table. Knowing how ostriches like to eat shiny objects, this maybe isn't too far of a stretch. By the time the fourth bowl had been devoured, onlookers began to notice Percy's sides visibly beginning to swell. On came Bowl 5 and then Bowl 6, at which point many of the female spectators began to feel ill and leave the hall, fearing what would happen to poor Percy if he kept on like he was. Bowl 7 came and went, and there was no sign of Bodie slowing down. He was loving the roar of the crowd, and with each chant of his name, he shoveled yet another forkful of spaghetti into his now gaping mouth. Percy, on the other hand, had begun to slow down, and by Bowl 8 it was clear who was going to win this contest. But Percy seemingly wasn't going to let his crown be taken from him that easily, and he pushed on, pecking at the bowl with all the strength he had left. By bowl 10, the tension in the room was peaking, and a spectator shouted at the zoo handlers, ''Do you want your bird to be killed?'' A strange mix of fear and elation coursed its way through all assembled inside. Finally, as Percy started on his 11th bowl of spaghetti... He could take it no more. He lifted his head, looked around at the worried faces in front of him, and he stopped eating, staggered a few steps to the side, and collapsed into a food coma on the floor behind the table. Bodhi looked down at the ostrich, looked back up at the crowd, and with a flourish made sure to finish every last morsel in his by now eleventh bowl of spaghetti. When he was done, he sat back in his chair, let out a loud belch and rubbed his belly with satisfaction. Then he stood, arms raised, as the new, reigning champion, world's greatest eater. Just two years later, Bodie would play his last game for the New York Yankees in the winter of 1921. He would go on to play several more seasons at a variety of lower league teams before finally ending up back where he started at the San Francisco Seals. He died in 1961, still talking about the good old days and regaling friends and family alike with tales of his baseball prowess. But his favourite story to tell, if you had a few minutes to spare, was about the day he ate 11 bowls of spaghetti and beat an ostrich in an eating competition. Until next time, bon appétit. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fantastic History of Food. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Pod, as well as checking out our Facebook page. I also have a Patreon account where you can support the show and get access to exclusive content, bonus episodes, and even the chance to choose the topic for an upcoming episode. But all of this is only for our Patreon subscribers. Everyone who donates or subscribes will also get a personal shout out from me in an upcoming episode. Check out our website where you can find transcripts, show notes, and references for each and every episode at foodhistorypodcast.com. You've been listening to a podcast of the PodFix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at podfix on Twitter, official underscore podfix on Instagram, at podfixnetwork on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The
1: Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.